Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here on the Nahum Siegel Network, NahumSiegel.com, and around the world on Arut Sheva, Israel National News slash Radio. And here we are. We are sitting on the precipice of history with this election, 2016. We are looking at it up close. We're down to the wire. And things are in play. There is a ton of movement. Well, not necessarily movement, but tightening. You know, everybody seems so surprised by the idea that there is tightening in this race. And, I mean, the presidential race and the various Senate races. We're going to go through so much that's at stake around the country with regard to, well, we're all focused on the presidency, but... Control of the Congress is at stake as well, and there's some key races, some key battleground races as it sits. But this has been one crazy historical time. And it's not just, well, when I say history, when I say history making, who would have thought that after so much time and more than a century, the Chicago Cubs would have won the World Series. So congratulations to all those out there in Cubby land, all those in Chicago land. And to those in Cleveland, well, look, you got the Cavs. It's quite impressive. What a game. What a World Series. Just most impressive, most exciting. About as exciting as you possibly get. And uh, let's not shortchange the presidential race. Let's not shortchange politics as far as excitement because this race has offered so much. Although, as I've said, it does, after so many months, get a little bit much. We need to shorten this election cycle. I mean, how long have we been talking about this presidential race? I mean, it's going on years already, and it's a little bit much, and we're finally down to the wire. So Tuesday, Tuesday, Election Day, November 8th. Everybody out there should be sure to vote. That's most important. So many people don't vote even in a presidential race. I mean, who knows what the actual turnout is going to be. But, you know, it hovers 55 57%. But it's, that's incredibly low. I mean, amongst Western democracies to have such a low turnout. And if you look around, that means that the person sitting next to you is just as likely that they didn't vote. As if they did, which is, well, which is pretty unfortunate, also given the stakes. So I know a lot of people are expecting that I'm going to make some kind of endorsements here, and I'm not I'm just going to talk about the election. You know, I've had a couple of people text me, Twitter me, email me asking what you know what they should do or what I should do and you know trying to convince me one way or the other but look I've made it clear before I find both of the leading candidates to be incredibly distasteful to be incredibly inconsistent with my personal values and I just don't feel comfortable uh, right now expressing any support for either of them I think I actually will make it clear that you know, I find one of them to be slightly more distasteful, but we're not even going to go into that. I want to preview some of the really key races 
around the country that are actually going to talk about control of the United States Senate. Because no matter who becomes president, whoever controls the Senate is going to be of critical importance vis-a-vis Supreme Court justices as well as so many other issues. It does look likely at this point, even though, well, there was some there was some talk, I guess, about two weeks ago as Trump was really cratering, as the campaign was really cratering, as Republicans were in total disarray, that the House could be in play. That doesn't look likely anymore. One thing that does look possible is that you'll have a revolt amongst House Republicans, or at least some House Republicans, or enough House Republicans, as to imperil the speakership of Paul Ryan. Which would be sad because it is, I think it's fair to say that Paul Ryan has been one of the most upstanding and consistent politicians in this election cycle. You know, he's made very clear, this is where I stand, this is what I stand for, this is what we're trying to do and try and keep the focus on policy and what members of the House and what the Congress can do to help the problems of the American people. And really tried to stay out of the sideshow. But, you know, politics being what it is, people want scalps. Although, I don't know that there is an heir apparent. You know, when Paul Ryan became speaker in the first place, he didn't seem to want it. Or at least he expressed very clearly he didn't want it. He became speaker because nobody else wanted it. There was nobody else in position to go ahead and do it. Now, if Republicans, I mean, the scenario is Republicans lose a couple seats. They lose 10 seats. And the House Freedom Caucus, the most ideologically rigid group, um, I think that's the nice way to put it, ideologically rigid group within the caucus might go ahead and not support him for speaker. And, of course, you have the Democrats on the other side. So nobody is able to achieve the 218 votes necessary to become speaker. And then you have some kind of chaos that comes from that. Then they hold the rest of the Republican conference hostage in trying to negotiate some terms to make a speaker. And clearly it would be unlikely that they would go ahead and team up with the Democrats, the Freedom Caucus, in order to elect Nancy Pelosi or the like. But let's go to the Senate for a second. I mean, there are some very interesting races. It's kind of been conventional wisdom for a while that Illinois was essentially going to be gone One-term Senator Mark Kirk, a former naval intelligence officer uh, who was slowed down by a stroke and which left him in a wheelchair. He facing off against a war hero in Tammy Duckworth, Congresswoman, Purple Heart. And this election, well, this race kind of took a turn for the worst, at least from my mind, where Senator Kirk, for whatever reason, or maybe it was just a moment of frustration about how things are going, he's been behind from the get-go. Illinois is a very blue state. It's difficult for him to hold the seat to begin with. And yet, particularly in uh, Obama's home state, and just in a debate, it was actually one of those cringeworthy moments in a debate. Tammy Duckworth 
talked about the fact that her family had been fighting for the country, fighting for this country since the American Revolution. And he is a, she was a daughter of the American Revolution, and she can trace her family back to the American Revolution. Now, for some reason, Senator Kirk decided he was going to say that I didn't realize your family came over for Thailand to fight, fight for George Washington. Now, yes, it's true that Tammy Duckworth's mother is Thai, and her father was uh, American but lived in Thailand, and that's where she grew up for part of the time. But her father's family legitimately, at least from what I've read, what I understand, legitimately has a claim that they have served in the armed forces since the founding of this country. And I think what this kind of shows is this willingness on the part of Republicans, and it's just so unfortunate, to create this otherness over and over to say to somebody, as somebody who has lost their legs in the military, who in a, col- in a helicopter crash, who served in combat and served the country with distinction, to create this otherness that, well, you're not as American as because you're as I am. You can't possibly be as American as I am because – you know, you're tainted by blood of a foreign country. I, that's not what he said, but to me, that that's that idea. And that's never what this country has stood for. We've always stood for the idea. And, you know, us as Jews should particularly be very, very sensitive to that. Because, of course, you know, we all came here from places that we were basically chased out of around the, around the world. And we should be so grateful for that. And that should be the experience of so many others. I mean, remember, aside from Native Americans, we're all immigrants here. So it's just this idea of creating an other and otherness is so un-American from my point of view. And it's just most unfortunate that that's the way that race has gone. But let's just look at now the race has uh, won another seat, Wisconsin nearby. Senator Ron Johnson against former Senator Russ Feingold, who was unseated six years ago. And this is a rematch of sorts. Well, actually, it exactly is a rematch. Johnson is was was kind of given up for dead and now is back. I mean, we have seen Wisconsin, him kind of move to within striking distance, if not you know within the margin of error, to go ahead and potentially uh, reclaim his seat. You've seen a little bit of Republican surge, although not quite enough that would say that I would put Wisconsin in the Republican column for the presidential race. Wisconsin is always that coveted prize that Republicans look at and they say, we can win the state. It elects Republicans and it's a Republican governor. It's pretty red. It's Republican legislature. But yet it's a prize that has eluded the Republicans for many a presidential cycle. They just don't seem to win. And it just doesn't – it's kind of like Pennsylvania. It sits out there and you say, wow, we can put together a coalition. We can put together enough votes that we can win the state. But it just doesn't seem to happen. So Wisconsin looks like it's right now. I would still put that in the blue side. Remember, the balance of power is that to gain four seats in the Senate. In order to create a tie, and then you, who knows who's going to be the vice president. The assumption had been, at least in amongst the conventional wisdom once again, that if the Democrats would win, uh, the vice president, being Tim Kaine, as elected, would be the one to break the ties, and that would be enough for control. 
So the the key races had been uh, Nevada, Indiana, Illinois, New Hampshire, Wisconsin. Now it's looking like Missouri is in there as well as a very significant race. Uh, the ones that have kind of been put away, Republicans, you know, thought to be imperiled with Marco Rubio in Florida. They have he's kind of pulled away. Uh, John McCain at one time in Arizona was thought to be imperiled. That has kind of pulled away a little bit. And it looks like the ones that are particularly uh, particularly interesting right now as we come down to the wire, Wisconsin, as we said, Pennsylvania, Pat Toomey running for re-election. He is looking that – that is looking like a – sorry – that is looking like a mild, I would say, a mild Democratic pickup because Pennsylvania just seems to go blue in presidential years. That's just the way it goes. Now, Maggie Hassan, who is the challenger, former governor of New Hampshire to Kelly Ayotte, uh, an all-woman race up in New Hampshire. And New Hampshire is – actually, you've seen – New Hampshire kind of, you know, being one of those fiercely independent states where Kelly Ayotte has disavowed Donald Trump and was actually doing very poorly in that race. She has um, since essentially broken even to the point that, you know, it's kind of that's almost a 50-50 race right now. Let's see how that goes, Uh, that Kelly Ayotte could survive there, the incumbent in New Hampshire. And she's kind of distanced herself from Donald Trump and actually quite effectively um, really has just kind of said, you know, I, I'm not talking about him anymore. That's it. We're done. Um, Joe Heck in Nevada, the Republican open seat being vacated by he- by Harry Reid. Uh, he has looked uh, he has looked good, and that was looking like it was going to be a, Dem- uh, a Republican pickup, but it doesn't look like that quite so sure anymore. Nevada has a well. Your potential to see significant Hispanic Latino turnout, and that even though the polling has shown that it's there's a Republican lead, it's hard to know exactly who is going to turn out on election day. You know, so much because of the way Nevada is, uh, because of the way Nevada is. Uh, population it's spread out you have essentially the las vegas county clark county with all the democrats and the rest of the state which is all republican and it's all about turnout in that state as to see uh, what what will happen there so we're uh, there's a lot of interesting races to watch as we go around the country looking at some of these places now indiana particularly interesting home state of mike pence and at one point, it was looking specifically that Evan Bayh, the former senator who had retired, now wants to come out of retirement, was going to go ahead and walk away with this race. But Todd Young has come along and come a long way, essentially saying Bayh is out of touch. Bayh's whole family is made up of lobbyists. He's essentially, since the being in the Senate, has kind of abandoned the state, even though it's a big political name in Indiana, as well as the popularity, I guess, of the Trump-Pence ticket in Indiana has definitely given uh, 
has definitely given Todd Young ammunition. And essentially that race is looking tied at this point. So these races are just looking that we won't know who is going to control the Senate literally possibly until the wee hours after election night on November 8th. I mean, it's looking that close that a couple hundred or maybe a couple thousand votes in one of these races could look like it is going to uh, turn the balance of power in the U.S. Senate. So on the flip side, I mentioned Missouri, and Missouri was thought to be a Republican. Well, that that uh, that Senator Roy Blunt was going to go ahead and walk away with this against Jason Kander. And that is actually looking tied as well. Jason Kander has kind of come out of nowhere to go ahead and the Blunts are an institution in Blunt has been in Congress pretty much forever. He was a majority whip of the House of Representatives, then became senator. His son served as a governor of the state. So everybody knows who the Blunts are. But this is another situation of insider versus outsider kind of cuts both ways in the same way that Young went against uh, that Young went against Evan Bayh as the insider-outsider. Here we have a situation where Jason Kander is going as the insider-outsider against one, and the anti-establishment fervor is cutting against is cutting both ways. So we see Missouri now in play as well, basically a tie. And that race has kind of come out of nowhere. That was really, if you look a couple of weeks ago, that was on nobody's radar screen that you go ahead and see that. So there's just so much going on as we look at Election Day. We look at the races to watch. You want to look at Nevada. You want to look at Indiana. You want to look at Illinois. Although it doesn't look like Illinois is going to be close in the end. So that's going to be a Republican loss there. New Hampshire, Wisconsin, Missouri. And you're looking at these races and you're trying to figure out in the end who is going to control the U.S. Senate no matter what happens at the top of the ticket. So let's just talk about the top of the ticket. And we're going to obviously have to talk about it. Uh, the what is going on in this race? Well, you know, the October surprise, we've had several October surprises. We're now in November, and we're looking potentially at a November surprise. I mean, anything can happen between now and Election Day on Tuesday. Is it possible there's going to be more WikiLeaks email? Yeah, I think it's very possible. In fact, probable. Is it possible they're going to have another announcement for the FBI? I doubt that. I mean, I think that... It would be very unlikely that we would clear anything or move anything off the table. Uh, will we see Donald Trump's taxes? I don't think he's been able to avoid it so far, and uh, I don't see any reason why he would do it now. Uh, it seems pretty clear, or at least even for his own admission, that the guy just doesn't pay. Well, I'm saying he doesn't have to pay what he doesn't owe, but he doesn't seem to pay taxes. Um, and as far as charitable contributions, look, that's his own business. I don't know. I mean, whether he gives charity or not, um, it, he certainly seems to av- not give charity in the way that many of us give charity. But as far as Donald Trump and his path to victory, everybody, you know, we want to talk about the tightening race. No matter what happens, Donald Trump at this point needs, needs, he must take a state that's blue, meaning a state that he's trailing by five points or more um, or four points or more, but a trace that, that is both traditionally blue that has already actually had a significant Democratic turnout and early voting and turn that over to the red side. So he needs to take a Pennsylvania. He needs to take Michigan, Wisconsin, uh, Colorado, 
some of these states, he needs to move them over from the column, meaning he could win all the big states. We've always talked about the race is always going to be uh, Ohio, Florida, North Carolina, that these states are going to be. But Donald Trump can win all these states and still not win the presidency. He needs – he need. it's not just about the toss-up states, not just about the Nevada and, well, right now Arizona potentially toss-up, although looking like – looking very decently for Trump. But – you know, those states that always in the toss-up column and the proverbial toss-up column, those seven toss-up states. But he needs to not not just win the Romney states, and we'll get into, you know, some of those in a second uh, as far as where he might be imperiled in one of those in particular. But he needs another state. He needs to move a state over to his column that he currently doesn't – that's currently looking very good for Clinton. Now, if you look a week ago, everything was looking very good for Clinton. Things change. This is politics. This is why what happens. You know, things change. News happens. People tighten. There are a lot of people out there who probably found Trump to be very distasteful. But at a certain point, they found Hillary Clinton to be just as distasteful. And in this race, look, people just say, okay, I'm not going to stay home. I'm going to go out and vote. Although, you know, there's certainly I can understand people who don't want to vote for either of them. Uh, That's, you know. There's certainly out there. And actually, I think that's one of the very significant story over the last month or so in this race is the essential collapse of the libertarian ticket of Gary Johnson's candidacy. Now, it wasn't as if Gary Johnson was ever going to win or the libertarians were ever going to take a significant amount. But they were polling 15 percent, 10 percent in certain states enough to create a plurality situation, enough to take votes either from Clinton or from Trump or from both to kind of mess up the usual electoral math. And they have essentially declined in most races to, let's say, the 5 and 7% range. So, you know, from my point of view, Gary Johnson provided a home for the disgruntled Trump voter or the disgruntled Republican, I apologize for that, but the disgruntled Republican who didn't want to vote for Trump but couldn't vote for Clinton, so they said, okay, maybe I'll vote for Gary Johnson. Or maybe there were some Sanders voters who felt more comfortable for whatever reason. But these were votes that were clearly not going to either of them, and who knows where they are. I think a lot of that vote has now gone back to Donald Trump, at least it seemed, because Gary Johnson, anti-establishment, outsider, Certainly, you'd find a better home with Donald Trump than you would with Hillary Clinton. And we've seen that in a number of states as Trump has kind of done a little bit better with his support. And we have seen that decline from Gary Johnson. You know, did that start with the what is Aleppo moment? I think so. I think to a certain degree, people have said, this guy's just not a serious candidate. We can't go ahead and vote for somebody for president who clearly just is just not what is Aleppo. Now, Donald Trump's had some of those moments, so it's interesting, but he seems to be much better at going ahead and covering them up and going ahead and just, uh, well, compensating for them. He, you know, he'll ne- he never apologizes. He never goes ahead and admits he makes a mistake as opposed to Gary Johnson, who did, and, you know, perhaps he should have just rode right through it and pretended, but you never... You see the difference in an interview when Trump is caught in in something. He just moves on. Uh, Johnson just froze, not just once, but twice. And, you know, those cringeworthy moments we talked about, you know, there's those cringe. It's kind of the, you know, the oops moment 
that Rick Perry had uh, back four years ago. You know, the famous oops moment where he couldn't remember the third federal agency that he wanted to eliminate. You know, that's your own proposal. You kind of have to remember that. It's, well, look, I like Rick Perry, but not a not a finest moment, and that essentially forced him out of the race. And, you know, Gary Johnson just has not been the factor that we thought at one point that he was going to be. Now, where is a third party a factor? And it's not Gary Johnson. We actually see the third party in the form of Evan McMullen, former CIA agent, devout Mormon, and a uh, factor – if significant factor, in fact, enough of a factor that there is a possibility that for the first time, a third-party candidate is going to actually get electoral votes. That's the first time, I think, since George Wallace back in 1964, that a third party is going to get some electoral votes. M. McMullen is positioned, or within striking distance, that is, to carry Utah's, I think, six electoral votes, which would be quite a feat. In fact, that actually has the potential – to keep the election, if it's both close on both sides, to keep the election from being decided. And I don't mean just decided on election. I mean decided altogether. There is a scenario that with Evan McMullen having, getting those Utah votes, and he is a Mormon, as I said, and the Mormons have been probably the group, certainly amongst the conservative side, certainly amongst the religious groups, much more so than – us Orthodox Jews, um, devout groups that have opposed Donald Trump in a very significant way. And McMullen is making a play for Utah's votes as, really as a protest to say, hey, you know, we don't buy into Trumpism. Trump is not conservative. I'm the conservative, and therefore you should vote for me. And that is resonating a lot in Utah. Now, Donald Trump hasn't helped himself in Utah with various, well, various things that he's done. And certainly they don't. Uh, they don't like his Muslim ban. They don't like his intolerance for, for immigrants. There are a number of things that they don't that they don't like. But we will must we will see that what ha- could happen that Trump and Clinton could both fall short of 270 if McMullen wins Utah, and that would throw the election to the House of Representatives. Now that's unlikely to happen, but Evan McMullen could deprive Donald Trump of any chance of the nomination by winning Utah. And that's something clearly that they're worried about. Mike Pence went to Utah. You would never see Republicans campaigning in Utah so close to the election. But that is the strange state of this race and how it has been going. So there is another. So if you look at this and you looked at this race two months ago, it seems to be totally different than what we have today when you have one as look as it looks. So. Whatever you do out there and whatever you decide as to how you're going to make your choice on November 8th, this coming Tuesday, just keep in mind, and I think it's really important to keep in mind here that this is a great country. We have an ability to affect change in this country. We have an ability to have a transition of power in this country should we need it, and all Americans, we should put country over party. And I don't mean that to say that either party is deficient in that, in that, but the country as an institution and the country as an idea is sacred and it's important. And we should remember that our allegiance is to the republic and not to a specific party. 
So I just feel very strongly that this election has polarized our electorate, has polarized people so much to the degree. Um, and I think it's just to the degree that people are attacked from merely expressing support for a particular candidate in the most vicious and vile ways. Uh, I see rabbis in our community being attacked. It's, uh, it's quite shameful. It's quite shameful. Um, people are entitled to hold different views, and they should not be discouraged from doing so. The uh, I have to say it's it's been a little bit it's been a little bit it's you know it's put me off a little bit so I just want to say that it's uh, it's been a difficult election cycle for many of us who work in the trenches to have to deal with a lot of this vitriol it comes with the territory but the degree to which it's happening in this election is actually quite remarkable. So I want to sign off after uh, all this time discussing the 2016 election. I want to tell you, everybody, should, they should go out and vote. Most important to go out and vote, no matter what you do. Look at these races. As I said, Senate up for grabs, very important in New York. New York State Senate is up for grabs. We have a chance potentially to elect the first Hasidic assemblyman in Aaron Weeder up in Rockland County, a Democrat. And it's just, there's going to be fascinating. We'll, we'll unpack it next week for all of you here on Spin Class on the Nachum Single Network. Stay tuned for Jew in the City Speaks with Dallas and Josephs.